God would call Abram and tell him, I want to make you into a great nation. I want to bless your name. And so um, what I want you to, to do is I want you to put yourself in Abram's shoes. Because God said, I'm going to show you a place that's going to be your new home. So I just need you to start walking by faith. Start walking, and I'm going to show you where you're going to be. And he was on a journey of faith to be able to hear God, to understand that God is speaking to his heart and, and to say, get up where you're at, leave your family, your father's home, the, the town, get up and move. For him to do that takes a great amount of faith. And so put yourself in Abram's shoes. So last week I introduced the, the idea that you and I, I believe that everybody in this room is called to go on a journey. Everybody in this room is called to go on a journey of faith. Now, some of, for some of you, uh, right now, you are in a beginning stage of your journey of your spiritual faith, of understanding who God is and what God did for you, what Jesus did for you, and to be able to understand that relationship. So you are in a place where you are starting that journey of spiritual faith. But I also believe here in this room, every one of us, God is calling us to go on some sort of journey of faith. That journey um, of faith, it could be a spiritual journey. Obviously, it could be a, a physical uh, journey. It could be relational. It could be financial. You know some of the things that, that need to happen in your life because God has revealed this to you. God has spoken to you. Now, he may not speak to you in, a, in an audible voice, but you feel that God is giving you something that some improvements that need to be in your life. And so God is telling you, look, I want you to get up from where you are, just like Abram, get up from where you are, and I want you to walk on a journey into a place that I have for you. And so God has a journey for you. Now, some of you know what that journey is. Some of you, you may be on that journey. You may be on a journey to, to, uh, to improve your marriage. It's like, my marriage is... It's not where it needs to be. I, I feel like God is telling me if I go over here with my marriage, if we both as, as, as a husband and wife walk together on this journey, God has some great things for us. It could be financial journey, whatever those, that is. You, some of you know what that is. Some of you, you may not know what that journey is. And God wants to show you. God wants to speak to you today. Say, look. I've got some great things for you, and there's some improvements I want to instill in your life. You just got to trust in me. So God called Abram on a journey, and that journey began with a promise or covenant. It began with a covenant, a promise to God says, look, I, I'm going to do this. And so Abram needed to do, you know, some, some other things as well. As part of a promise, as part of a covenant, Abram had to make some sacrifices. He had to get up from where he was and walk and go. And it was, a, it was far away. And so when God calls you and I to go on a journey, there's a sacrifice. We're, we, we need to get up from where we're at, and we need to be able to walk over to where God has for us. Okay, It could be a, something physically, something health-wise. 
God may be saying, look, I, I, I think there's some things you could do better with your health. And so with that, we're going to go on a journey together. And so God may be encouraging you to walk in a journey, and it takes sacrifice. So a promise or a covenant takes sacrifice. So that, that, that calling, that journey by God began with a promise, which includes sacrifice. So not only does it include a promise or a covenant, it also includes patience. You have to be patient between when God told Abram of, of him be able to, uh, to have lots of children until the time he had his first child, it was 25 years. 25 years, that's a long time to wait. And so whenever God calls you to go on a journey, he wants you to be patient. And who do you need to be patient with? Well, you need to be patient with God as he works things in your life. You need to be patient with your spouse as you're walking together. You need to be patient with your kids. You need to be patient with your current job situation. Be patient with that. Don't like, well, I'm, I, I can't stay in this job. I'm gonna quit, you know, and then you don't have a job, and then you're stuck. Like, okay, I don't have a job. Be patient. God has that job for you. If, you. if you don't like what's going on, if you feel like God's calling you out of that, stay where you're at and then move on. But be patient with that. Be patient with yourself. Be patient with yourself. And that's almost a, always the hardest one uh, to be patient. So because if you're not patient, then you will be tempted to take matters in your own hands. Now that's me. That's that's Frank Bennett right there. Because if, if things aren't happening, moving and shaking, I take matters into my own hands. And that's usually when, when things get you know, bad. You know, when, things, when I get in trouble, when, when I mess things up, it's when I take things into my own hands and I just, I'm not patient enough. Because I want to be there right now. But that journey takes a while. So when God calls you, he calls you with a promise, with a covenant, and he calls you with patience. But when we're walking, we need to make sure we don't settle. It's like we learned last week. When, when Abram went over to uh, Canaan on the, that first calling, he stopped in Haran, and they stayed there a little while. They're like, hey, this is nice. This town is, is great. It's better than what we had, but it's not Canaan. It's not the land of Canaan. And so, um, they stayed there a while and they settled. So God is telling you and me today, look, when you are walking on the journey, I've got this, this land of Canaan in your area in life that, that you're on a journey and I've got this land and so don't settle for anything else. Well, Lord, I, I, I need to lose like 50 pounds. I've lost 20, that's good enough. No, no. If you feel like, Lord, I need to lose 50 pounds, that takes sacrifice, yes. Okay? And the promise is that. It's got, God's like, look, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you to, to have, have uh, clarity in your mind, you know, and to sleep better, and, and you're going to feel better, and all this stuff. And, and your promise is, look, I'm going to make some sacrifices. And it takes sacrifices to do that. But don't settle for anything less than Canaan. What is your Canaan? What is your promised land? Where are you going? In whatever area, whatever journey you are on. So don't settle for Haran. You will be tempted to settle. 
So what is, the, what is this solution? How do we not settle on this? How do, we, um, how do we get to the point to where we're not just stopping and settling? Well, we remember the promise. We remember the promise. You do what God did to Abram. God, in many times in this passage, God told Abram, he reminded him, look, Abram, we're, I'm gonna make you into a great nation, but God, I don't have any kids, and I'm getting really old. I'm gonna make you into a great nation. Look at the stars, Abram, look at the stars. Can you count them? No, that's how many kids you're gonna have. But God, I don't have any kids right now. I, I, I know that, and I know you're getting old. But God was always reminding Abram over and over again in this section of, of Genesis. Look, Abram, here's the promise. So do what God did to Abram. You need to revisit the promise. You need to revisit what Canaan needs to look like. You need to revisit that. I'm gonna open up a little bit uh, in my heart, kind of some things that God is calling me to do. My, my family and I, we live in, in Bartow County. We live in New Harley. And New Harley's really not that far away. It's about a 20, 25 minute drive, depending on what time of day and, and um, you know, what um, lights you know, we catch or don't catch. But our, um, our kids, um, will, uh, starting next year, because uh, this is a place where Excel Christian Academy is going to be, our kids will be uh, attending school at this, at this facility next year. We got five kids in, uh, in, uh, in local schools. We got one in college. And I work here. My, my wife works at Emerson Elementary. We, we do life here in Emerson. We would love to be in Emerson. And so in my prayer journals this past summer, uh, there, were, there were some times I felt like God was, was speaking to me. So those times that God said, I need you to pick up the pen, I felt impressed. Okay, I need to pick up this pen. I want you to write a few, a few things down. So I wrote a list of things that God said, okay, these are some things that are about to happen. Okay, with church, with your, with your family, with you individually. So I wrote them down in, in my prayer journal. And one of those things was this. God says, get the house ready to sell because I'm moving you to Emerson. And I'm like, hey, that's great. That's an awesome, that's an awesome promise. We would love to be here because this, I mean, I sleep in your Harley. You know, everything else, I, we do life here. But it, it's just, it, nothing's real. I mean, it's hard to ha find a place, you know, has a family of eight and, you know, the ones that do have uh, room for family of eight, you know, I need to sell a couple of kids to get, you know. <laughs> And so God, as I was driving, as I was driving just this week, I was driving back and forth, and I was like, oh, because I forgot something at the house. And I'm like, oh, I got to go all the way home, go over here. And I was like, God, I, I thought you said, and this was last summer, I, I figured things would be moving right now because we're looking and we're praying and seeking the Lord. And, and God, I asked God, look, I thought, I thought you said we were moving immediately. It's like God knew I was going to ask that question. Immediately, I felt the Spirit of God really quick. I thought you said you were going to get your house ready. <laughs> I have not gotten the house ready. In fact, since then, there's like new holes in the walls for my kids. 
you know, and other kind of stuff. And just for reminders, every time I go up the stairwell, you know, there's a hole in the wall. I'm like, I'm not getting the house ready. You know, I need to get the house ready. So God is saying, look, you get the house ready. You get the house ready, and we'll talk. We'll talk. I want you to be in Emerson, Frank. That's where, that's where you're moving. Church is looking at land. Obviously, we're here. Kids, work, everything. But you got to get your house ready. Is God telling you, you need to get your house ready? You need to get your house in order. You need to get ready. So as we remember the promise, God reminded me that I need to do certain things. And so, so you don't forget that where your Canaan is and in whatever area in your life, you need to revisit that promise and then revisit that sacrifice of things you need to do. Because that promise, that covenant, is go, goes two ways. There's God's part and there's your part. God's part, your part. And so with that sacrifice, what does that take? And um, so as we, um, as we remember the, the promise to get you through uh, tough times, um, there's a passage of scripture here in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 12, verse six through eight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna share this with you real quick because there's something in here, I was reading this week about this and there's something here that I think you all need to hear specifically. And I've looked over this uh, many, many times before. But in chapter 12, verse six and eight, it says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So here he is again. He's reminding, look, Abram, you're standing right here in this spot, this land, Canaan. I'm going to give this to your offspring. But God, I don't have any kids. It's okay. So he built an altar. That's important. He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there... He built an altar, second altar, to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So God called to Abram and reminded him that, look, this is where, this is, this is where I, I, you're going you're gonna to inherit the land. It's interesting that Abram built an altar right there. You know why he built an altar? He built an altar to show God, but he also built it for himself. You see, what, do al- what are altars for? They're for sacrifice. Altars are for sacrifice. You sacrifice things on an altar. So he built an altar to show that he, he is sacrificing. And so modern day altars, which don't require animal sacrifice with the New, with the new Testament, the New Covenant, um, are for hearts, modern day altars are for hearts that are ready and willing for their own desires and plans to die in exchange for the new plans designed by God. So the altar that God wants you to set up is a, um, is a symbol that your desires, your plans are gonna die at the altar in exchange for God's plan. You see, Altars are important because they are visible. They are tangible. You can see them. 
Because up until now, God's, God's just been speaking to him. But there had nothing tangible, nothing to, to look at. So Abram's like, I'm going to build this altar. And every time I pass by here, that's going to be a reminder of the promise of the covenant. That's going to be a reminder that God has called me to this new land. So what altars in your life do you need to set up? What altars in your life do you need to set up? What tangible things do you need to set up? Now, I'm not saying you need to, you need to build something, you know, a structure or anything and, and, and have a prayer, you know, time, whatever. You could do that. But you need to, you need to have something that you, can, that you can go to. For example, those who accept Christ as Savior, there's a, there's a second step that doesn't really get you into heaven. There's only one thing that gets you into heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ and, and ushering into your heart and asking him into your, uh, to be Lord of your life. But there's a second thing that we like to do that's biblical, and that is baptism. The reason why baptism is because it shows people you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And just a sheer act of baptism, you, you show people, look, I have decided to follow Jesus. But also, the baptism is not just for others, but it's for you as well. Because guess what? You can go back and look, and you can go back and remember the baptism. You have pictures of the baptism. You have video of the baptism. You have a baptism certificate. You have those, that memory of something tangible in the water, being baptized, and that is a tangible thing to remember. I am saved, and I was baptized, and I told people about it. Because if you don't follow up with baptism, it's like, well, I, I accepted Christ, and I asked him to be Lord of my life, but I don't know kind of what to do next, and, and you know, maybe I wasn't thinking straight or, or whatever. You know, baptism, it, there's a line drawn in the sand, and you step over that line, and you've made that decision, and it's something that's tangible. So just like baptism, what kind of altar, what kind of thing can you do to show and remind yourself of the promise? Let me give you some examples. Say if you're in financial, so a financial journey, you're trying to get out of debt, you're, you're, you're trying to um, you know, spend less, save more, whatever financial journey you're on, maybe a better job, so what kind of sacrifice does that take? What kind of altar can you establish? Well, one, you can, you can establish a, a budget. You can have something written down. You can follow through with that. Another, um, another altar of, of, of worship, obviously, is tithing, is giving to the Lord. You're able to say, you know, God, my, uh, my heart is not right with my finances. My own desires are getting in the way of what you want to do with the money that you've given me. So my own desires are getting in the way, so I'm going to show you that my heart is going to be right by giving you 10%, first and foremost. Just say, Lord, right off the top, before I pay for my, my bills, before I pay for all this stuff, Lord, it all belongs to you. And I tell people all the time, look, if you want to try that, that's great. You could try that here at Lake Point Church, but it, it, just to show that, I'm, that I, we care more about your journey in that, tithe somewhere else, okay? I don't, I don't care. It goes to the, it goes to the, 
to the large church, the big C church, God's kingdom, okay? It, it's, it's about your journey. And so if God has you on a financial journey, the altar of giving to the Lord is real and it's tangible. Does it hurt? Yes, it's a sacrifice. But every promise, every covenant has sacrifices. Uh, marriage. What about marriage? If you, if you have a, a marriage that you want to, uh, you feel like God is calling you to a land of Canaan, that you feel like God wants to improve, what, what kind of altar can you set in place? Okay, it's interesting, when, when people get married in a church, they, they get married at the altar. They walk down to the altar, okay? And so they're, they're at the altar, and they're literally laying down their life, you know, for one another, and they're sacrificing themselves. But listen, it doesn't end there. That altar of marriage and that covenant of marriage continues on, and so... Um, what kind of altar can you do for your marriage? You can sacrifice your own desires. You can sacrifice your own selfishness. You can sacrifice your time to do, go, go to marriage counseling. What is your altar? Don't just say, okay, Lord want, the Lord wants us to have a better marriage. All right, well, we're gonna, we're gonna let the Lord fix that. No, he, his part, your part. And you gotta have something tangible. You gotta have something visible that you can be doing, that you can show that you are walking that direction. So during this season of patience, when we are tempted to just settle down and settle in our land of Haran, settle for just um, not God's best, but just for good enough, when we're settling down, we're more easily prone for failure. And it happened with Abraham. It happened with Abraham. Abraham actually had a moment of failure. And it's in, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse, uh, verses 10 through 20. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with you. You follow on the screens on your, on your Bible. But I want you to listen carefully to this because there's some things you're going you're gonna, to um, get from this. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So famine in the land, people are hungry, crops aren't growing, animals dying, I gotta get out of here, they go to Egypt. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, and later her name will be changed to Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. So guys, get this, imagine having this conversation with your wife. I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife then they will kill me, but will let you live. So here's a plan, wife. Verse 13, say you are my sister. Maybe they're from Alabama, I don't know. <laughs> say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials, Pharaoh, their leader of the known world at that time, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants and camels, all kinds of stuff. Why? Because he just gave his wife to the king. But the Lord... 
didn't like that, inflicted serious diseases on who? Pharaoh, not Abram, on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him to his way with his wife and everything he had. Now, just so, just so you know, the uh, Sarai, uh, she, she was just hanging out in his harem. I mean, you know, a lot of those kings, they had a bunch of wives and a bunch of women in harems and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, biblical scholars um, say Sarai, she, uh, she had a, a, a year, at least a year of just being in the harem. So it's not like she was with Pharaoh at that time. But Abram made a bad decision. He made a very bad choice. And so it was all a part and all about Abram's failed test. Here is his first test. God's calling him to Canaan. He's there. Abram's built altars. He's, he's been reminded. Okay, these are things as a reminder of what God is doing and what God wants to do. So in his very first test, he earned a big fat F. But fortunately, that's not the end of the story. The Lord didn't say, oh my gosh, I, I made a mistake. What is Abram doing? Why did I choose him? Ah, oh, Abram, why did you do that with your wife? Why did you give her up like that? Why are you lying? Why are you doing this stuff? Man, I regret ever calling him. God didn't do that. You know why? God made a promise. God kept his deal of the God kept his, his uh, end of the deal, of the covenant, of the promise. I've called him. I've called him. Yeah, he's going to learn from this, but I've called him to that. The Lord, and, and, and some of you need to get this. Listen care, very carefully. The Lord, with perfect foreknowledge of Abram's good and bad choices, chose him to become an example of genuine faith. So get this. Let me ask you a question. Did God already know the future that Abram would one day be in front of Pharaoh and give his wife? Yes. But still, God called Abram. Don't sit here and think that because of the things you've done, that God has removed that calling for whatever journey he wants you on, for whatever journey he wants you on. You know, we pray for lots of marriages here at Lake Point Church. I believe that the enemy's attacking marriages like no other time in history. And so if you're on a marriage journey, and if you, if, as you're trying to work with God and your spouse and trying to fix some things, and you mess up, God already knew you were gonna mess up. And yet he calls you on the journey. God already knew you're gonna mess up, and yet he calls you on this journey. Don't let the shame and the guilt hold you back from walking that journey. 
There's, a, there's four quick principles I wanna, I wanna go over from this failure. When, when, when the faithful fail, what do we do? When the faithful fail, how do we respond? What do we do? What can we learn from this? First of all, everyone faces famines. Everyone faces famines. Some famines in your life are severe. They knock your feet, knock you off your feet, and leave you lying flat on your back, nowhere to look up. Let me give you some examples of famines. A doctor's report, a negative doctor's report, that's a famine. A divorce, the death of a loved one, unemployment, bankruptcy. These are just a few. But these experiences prompt within us a crisis of faith, challenging us to answer the question, in who do I trust? In what do I trust? When you and I go through famines, when we go through times in our life that are really, really difficult, then we are in a, a, a crisis moment, a moment of faith. Like, so, Lord, who, who do I trust? Am I really trusting you or am I trusting in myself or others? Famines can provide an opportunity to take your relationship with God deeper because in your famine, God is there. God is there in your famine. So things we can learn, every, every, uh, everyone faces famines. The second thing is this, every escape contains a lie. When we do anything we can to avoid facing our crisis of faith, when we have failed, or we walk through a famine or whatever, when we seek escape through our old familiar ways, we tell ourselves a lie. I can handle this without God. Y'all, I see this all the time on Facebook. Some, somebody going through a struggle, and you read the comments, and you see, you see some people say, you go, girl. You got this. And you know, yes, we need to encourage people to, 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 to rise up. But let me tell you something. What about God is in control? Trust in him. God is in control. Trust in him. God is walking with you through this dark season. Not, man, you just need to man up. You could do this. Y'all, that's what we revert to, isn't it? That's what we revert to. When we go through bad times, we're like, man, I'm just going to roll up my sleeves, and I'm going to tackle this. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Now, yes, we, we need to have strength, but let me tell you something. Your strength doesn't come from yourself. It comes from the Lord. Because when we are weak, he is strong. When's our, where's our strength come from? It comes from the Lord. So every escape contains a lie. When you try to escape from, from these things in your life, from your, your past and your failures, it contains a lie. Don't try to escape. We need to walk through the failures. We need to walk through them. We spent our lives escaping tests rather than walking through them with the power of God. So don't try to escape. Walk with them. Abram escaped. He escaped. He escaped his famine. 
Why did he escape all the way to Egypt? God's like, no, 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 this is your promised land. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll provide. I know it's a famine, but I'll provide. I want to provide for you. Another thing we can learn, every Abram struggles with the weakness. Every Abram or, or Abraham struggles with the, with the weakness. This means you. This means me. These weaknesses cause us to make unwise choices as well as sinful, selfish choices. These flaws and their, and their associated coping mechanisms in, that we try to do, they undermine our relationship with God. So get this. Our default response competes it competes with faith. Our default response to things compete with our faith. There's a struggle. I got this. God's got this. I got this. God's got this. I could do this. Have faith in God. Trust in God. So it competes with faith so that we trust in ourselves rather than rely upon God to protect us and to provide for our needs. So when when you're at a point when you are in a famine, it's so easy for you to try to escape from that. And it's so easy to, um, to rely on yourself and not walk with God. So every, everyone faces famines. Every escape contains a lie. Every Abram struggles with a weakness. What is your weakness? What is your weakness? You, that journey that you're on, you know what that weakness is. You need to acknowledge that weakness and say, God, I, I can't do this part. I can't do this. This, this. I, I need your help. I'm weak. I need you to be strong. God wants to walk with you through that famine. And the last one is this. Every compromise jeopardizes a Sarai. His wife. Every compromises, jeopardizes a Sarai. Whenever we revert to our default response, someone gets hurt, including those closest to us. I need to share that again. Whenever we revert to our default response, someone gets hurt. Someone gets hurt. Whenever we revert to our default response. Someone gets hurt. And it could be those people closest to us. And it most likely is those people closest to us. Sarai trusted Abraham to lead her well and to keep her safe. But her, her self-serving scheme made her the newest addition to Pharaoh's harem. So Sarai trusted Abraham. She's like, I trust my husband. And yet Abram does this foolish, selfish things. He did it just to protect him. So when we step in and take care of things on our own, we mess up those around us. As the sun was setting on that first evening, she, Sarai must have been asking herself, what on earth am I doing here? As she's sitting there in the harem, how could he have done this to me? 
So there's, there's no such thing as victimless sin. There's no such thing as victimless sin, including the sins you keep private. You may sin in secret, but you never sin alone. You may sin in secret, but you never, ever sin alone. That sin not only affects you, but it affects those around you, and it always starts with those who are closest to you. You begin telling lies to those closest to you to cover up. You begin hiding things to cover up those closest to you. Or you lash out emotionally to those closest to you. Why? Because you're not walking with the Lord. And you're trying to do this journey on your own. So this journey of faith that God has you on, don't do this alone. Don't do this alone. God has a Canaan for your heir in your life, that, that whatever journey that is. Don't do this alone. Don't try to man up. Don't say, I got this. God's got this. And when you fail, not if, but when you fail, and that famine comes, don't try to escape. Own up to it. Say, God, you knew I was gonna do this, right, God? You knew I was gonna fail. You knew I was gonna make this choice, but yet you called me to do something greater. That alone should give you reason to keep walking towards your land in Canaan.